Hello everybody, I'm joined by Maria Harris in the first episode of our video interview series for 2021. Maria, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. How are you doing this morning? Uh, really well, thank you. How are you, Polly? Fantastic. Yeah, really well. Thank you, really well. Over the next 20-25 minutes, I'm going to be asking you some questions around your role, your experiences and your predictions for the industry in the years ahead. So really looking forward to it. Now, it's in the news, obviously, that you've joined UTB as a non-executive director in the last two years. You've also joined Scottish Building Society, Brightstar, among others, as a consultant. It'd be great to start off with what you think these organisations have in common, and what are you seeing as some of the main challenges that are facing financial services companies at the moment? Yeah, so incredibly lucky that I get to have this like amazing portfolio career and work with lots of really interesting companies across all of the spectrum of kind of buying houses, selling houses, mortgages, you know, all of that stuff. And I get to do some work with them, government and industry as well. So yeah, it's really nice that I get to see this end to end. Um, I guess all of the companies that I'm either working with or working for, um, they're all really focused on technology and how to use digital and technology to improve their customer and their broker experience. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about customer journeys, onboarding experiences, and kind of how we hang things together, which hasn't really been a strong point of the industry before, kind of joining different bits of the process up to make it a much better experience. Um, so I would say everybody I work with, they're just like really open to thinking differently and to new perspectives and um, and around collaboration, kind of learning from, from the likes of Atom Bank, who did such an amazing job with um, building a, a kind of brand new customer journey. Um, so yeah, lots of learning from good practice, which is great. Um, one of the challenges that I see everywhere, though, is it, it tends to be mindset and culture. Um, it's not actually the technology itself. The technology definitely holds us back, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's just that ability to, to think differently and to reimagine how something could be done. Um, I think financial services has kind of grown up in this iterative process where we make really small incremental changes, and but we're constantly changing and constantly evolving, but they're all really, really small bite-sized things. Whereas, you know, fintech's all about taking a step back and designing something that's so different and so disruptive and so brand new that you completely change how how it's done um, and that's really challenging obviously legacy systems just aren't set up to support that way of thinking either mm. um for a lot of the clients I work with as well there's a huge challenge with just knowing what's out there and what's real tech and what's vaporware and um you know what's on premise that's cloud hosted but not cloud first and why those things are important and just being able to kind of navigate through all of that hype and through you know through through what is quite a difficult set of choices to make about what technology to use yeah i bet well it sounds really interesting i'd love to know what you would say are the main three reasons why companies are investing in technology so financial services what what do you think are the main drivers behind that technology investment yeah so I think technology in other sectors has just gone on at such a pace if you look at retail and hospitality taxes fast food all of that kind of stuff even how we engage with social media 
um, like that technology is so much further forward than financial services. So there's definitely the first thing is around just improving the experience for customers, but also for users, because all of the people that we're recruiting now who've never known anything except using a smartphone and using digital classrooms, especially during COVID, are now coming into a work environment where they're being asked to use paper and fax machines and they're like, oh, my God, I don't know what that is. You, most, you know, kids don't even really write these days. It's all done online and they're just... It's, it's really important for recruitment and retention and let's say customer experience and user experience that would be the first thing and um, financial services as well is it's still hugely inefficient like we've got lots of um friction in processes and friction inevitably means delays in time or cost or just you know really bad customer outcomes because we're not joined up and um, so there's a lot around just improving efficiency and actually taking the friction out of what's existing processes um and then you know the whole of the banking sector is based on on mitigating fraud and taking risk that's what banks do they take our money in and they invest it in things that think will give us a good return and and banks are paid to manage that risk um so i think the big thing for for technology is how do we use it to reduce risk reduce fraud to make it to just to make banking safer and as safe as it can possibly be brilliant and in your experience, when financial services are selecting a technology, a technology provider to work with, what would you say should be the main criteria they look at? What, what would you say, in your opinion, should, should they be factoring into their decision? Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I see a lot is that people think you have to have a digital strategy that almost sits on its own over here with like a technology team and it's like mm. devolved responsibility. So tech is owned by tech and innovation's owned over there. And, and, and it's not, it's like tech's the thing that brings your business strategy to life. It should be the thing that enables the things that you want to do for your business, for your customers, for your products, all of that. So I would say it actually starts with your business strategy. You've got to be really clear about what kind of organization you are and find the technology that fits, not the other way around. The tech mm-hmm. shouldn't drive your business strategy. Um, so yeah, definitely start with your business strategy and align the two things and don't have tech is separate it should run Mm -hmm. through everything in your business but also it just again a kind of culture you have to find technology partners who share the same values the same vision who buy into what you're trying to do and who Mm -hmm. are prepared to work with you to collaborate properly to solutionize and to come like to be prepared to push the boundaries and do something different Um, and that's quite a tough ask yeah I bet no that's some great words of advice thank you I'm going to take you back to February now because I listened into the fintech north event when you were an absolutely brilliant speaker you you discussed how the digital developments to date have mainly been focused around the front end the customer side of the experience and the journey why do you believe that that's the case and what would you say are the implications of the other aspects of the journey getting left behind um, I think some of it is historic because like I say banks have like financial services has always been a bit of a lag in terms of adopting new ideas or adopting new tech or or just even being really really focused on 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 customer experience um mm-hmm. like banking's always been around making sure that it's safe and that it works not necessarily about how it feels and kind of what emotion it drives and how you make it really engaging like finance has never been really 
really engaging. And I think if you went back to the global financial crisis, when there was such an issue with around lack of trust in banks, all of the, you know, the bailouts and then all of the scandals that have come on top of that, the, the kind of first step had to be the customer facing one because you needed mm -hmm. to repair that trust but also we just needed to get customers like more engaged with their money like we're not great at that in this country even around things like education and and customers really understanding how banking works and all of that kind of stuff so I think for fintechs and the banks who've had to do a lot of reinventing themselves post-crisis like customer experience had to be first the front end on the, mm -hmm. the bits that actually saw and touch but for fintechs as well it was also kind of an easy target to disrupt because the experience was so poor nps is really bad we had banks in the global financial crisis who had nps scores of minus and that was kind of like the norm it was you know it wasn't like a big deal so for fintechs to come in and make to make really big changes at front end was actually quite simple mm. um so i think there's been a real move to kind of to disrupt that front end and banks have had to respond to that either because of their own internal or because of what was happening externally but it's actually really difficult to then it kind of disrupt the back end where there's a lot of infrastructure there's a lot of reliance on kind of underlying legacy tech even things like the atm network how payments are made clearing banks all of that kind of stuff um, even things like the land registry, like there's just quite a lot that the industry's relying on that's driven by legacy thinking or legacy platforms. So mm -hmm. I think that has been harder for, for anyone to get into, whereas let's say front end payments, UI, all of that kind of stuff's been much easier to disrupt. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing the impact of that now. So if you look at mortgages specifically, where we've had um, really good housing transactions during COVID, um, the industry did an amazing job of pulling itself um, after first lockdown. Um, then we had all of the government intervention and schemes around making sure that banks could lend and that they had ca like capital and liquidity to lend. Um, but then we've ended up with this huge backlog that's stuck in completions where people were really worried they were going to miss the stamp duty deadline. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know front end's great we can get a customer onboarded we can get them a mortgage really really quickly mm. but all of the back end stuff still takes three four five six months to get to completion so mm. yeah, you're kind of seeing that live in the market now yeah I think that leads me on quite nicely to the next question really because another theme that came up from the event was the emphasis on the lenders driving the technology roadmap and maybe the brokers being one step behind in in that sense you commented that fixing the lender side of the operation is only one part of the puzzle. I'm, I'm quite interested to know, do you think lenders can make real change themselves or do you think this has to come at an industry level? For me, it has to be the whole end to end, not even just for mortgages, like I say, for, mm. for kind of broader financial services, understanding and, and people understanding how to manage their money, for me, I think it needs to be everyone. So regulator, government, trade bodies, um, it, you know, a whole load of piece around education and raising awareness and just transparency around how the processes work and what customers should expect to happen and what they can do to be kind of more in control. And it, it, I was on an event a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about um, open banking and digital identity and the take up on open banking is still really low comparatively. It's like a really small proportion of transactions. And it, uh, 
but there's a load of research that says if you asked, you know, most people on the street, if you heard of open banking, they wouldn't really know what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, that you know banks and the industry have a part to play in that in just making customers aware of what these things are but why they're safe and why they're good mm. good to use um that i mean like i said i sit on some of the government industry working groups which is which is it just enlightening um so there's a lot happening in the industry right now so you've got the digital identity working group who are building a trust framework and a load of data standards very similar in the way that we did with open banking but to enable the customer to do their digital identity once and for that to be trusted right the way through the process whereas at the moment most customers do their id four or five times during the process of buying a house and we still have fraud so that process obviously doesn't work um then you've got things like uh, the land registry and their digital street project and moving to electronic signing of deeds and electronic registration of titles and opening up their APIs so that we can use that data again to make transactions kind of real time and safer and all of that kind of stuff. Um, we've got the home buying and selling group who are reimagining the entire buying and selling process and trying to pull all of the data right up to the front of the transaction, which is just the biggest game changer that we're going to see. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got companies like Cordute who are building distributed ledger technology, which just unlocks so much um, it, it just customer experience and efficiency and sharing of data and being able to have networks that actually collaborate properly end to end. So there's loads happening in the market. It's uh, mm. How would you rate that collaboration and connectivity between the broker, the lender, the solicitor today? I mean, that whole ecosystem feels like it's ripe for improvement. How would you describe it today? And what do you see as the main areas for enhancement? Yeah, there's been some really good work going on. So if you look at the likes of, you know, 27 Tech, Mortgage Brain, Iris, um, who've been trying to do it on behalf of the industry and trying to be, kind of be that bit in the middle, um, but we've not really scratched the surface. Um, we've got really disjointed... Um, really disjointed ways around how we use APIs, how we connect. We don't have common data standards. We don't have trust frameworks in place. Um, there's just so much there that, that I almost wish we could rewind the clock and actually get everyone in a room and start that journey again and, and design it better end to end. Um, and, you know, the, the, there weren't that many. When we started that API kind of connection between brokers and lenders, the likes of Nevo kind of weren't thought of then. So we've we've headed off down a path that, that that's going to, it's ended up proving quite challenging that we've got lots of point to point APIs and mm -hmm. we're having to build a lot of, um, a lot of process and procedure around managing that going forward, which is actually quite challenging. Whereas, you know, having solutions like Nevo where that stuff kind of joined up and it's all in one place and it just yeah it makes for a much better customer journey so there's a lot of work to do but a lot of it starts with we don't design together we don't solutionize together everybody goes off and does their own little bit of it and then wonders why when you get to the end the whole thing doesn't work mm. Great words of advice. I think uh, I imagine there'll be some brokers, lenders maybe listening into this video today who might not have gone full steam ahead with transformation projects. They might not yet be using things like ID checks or biometric ID reports, uh, open banking, e-signatures. What, what, what do you think is holding these companies back? And what would you, well, what advice would you give them to really embrace that that leap into the digital world? 
Yeah, so I do. I, I, you know, I really feel for intermediaries and networks who've been trying to deal with all of this coming down the line. Um, it, I think there's a lot of desire out there for people to want to use these solutions, and it, but they've not really needed to until now, which sounds a bit weird, but they haven't because customers haven't really been demanding it. Okay. And it, the housing process has been what it has for 100 mm. years. There's almost an acceptance that um, the customer really wants to get the house, then they'll do whatever it is that they need to do to get it. Up it up with it. Mm. Yeah, and, and documents and stuff. That's just, you know, that is the way it is. Um, but also, I think that might change now on the back of COVID because I think customer expectation has certainly changed in that we've done everything online. We've been able to do anything we want in the last 12 months and businesses have adapted to that, like, like restaurants and food and, and vaccine and track and trace and all of that. Everything's moved on to something that's really instant and accessible. Um, but also uh, the, the process historically, it, it's just been very process driven. Um, so there was no point in a lot of the brokers adopting things like digital identity or e-signatures when the lender or the conveyancer then wouldn't accept them anyway because the lender and conveyancer had to do their own thing and would use whatever provider they were using. So for the broker, it was a bit like, well, what's the point? Because I'm going to do it and have this great customer experience, but the customer's going to have to do it again anyway. So it's almost like path of least resistance. You need... Mm -hmm everyone to move together or or it doesn't you know it doesn't kind of work um so for anybody who's thinking about we should be looking at this stuff one you absolutely should because mm. um customer experience and customer expectation is changing um if you look at you know the neo banks now you can open a bank account in less than 15 minutes with all of your biometric and all of your security and kyc and aml and everything just all done in an app and it's like the most amazing onboarding experience um, we're definitely moving to data being kind of real time and digital, um, which I think is going to become the norm for the industry because it's the only way we're going to get this journey to work properly. Mm -hmm. um, I think for brokers as well, there's a lot about, you know, just keeping customers safe and managing risk. Um, and that actually a lot of the solutions around digital where you are um, using the source data, which is verified rather than, and, and it's kind of authenticated rather than documents. And we'll never ever stop fraudsters trying the, that, it, you know, you just have to accept that's the way it is. But the more we can do to make it hard for them, the better. And a lot of that is around using source data and using data that's authenticated rather than verified. Um, and I would say the third thing is that, that, that this is coming and um, regulators and industry are driving, like I say, home buying and selling group, digital identity working group. So at some point, these things are going to become the industry norm and, and, and people are going to sign up to using them and you really don't want to be left behind. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And then a final question. Obviously, we had the announcement last month around the digital identity standard. I'd love to hear your predictions, your thoughts for what can we expect for the next one to three years? What do you think is going to be the technology driving us forward? What, what announcements do you think we could be expecting? Oh, do you know, you'd be a brave woman who'd predict anything in this environment, wouldn't you? Um, okay, the things that I think I would like to see, um, I think we'll see more frameworks coming out around things like digital 
digital identity, but also around things like open finance and kind of that next evolution of open banking and pulling in other data sources, other types of accounts, but using that data really intelligently to help customers, let's say, kind of understand the finances, but to give them control and give them almost like the power of the decision making back and for them to own their data and understand what they can do with it. Mm. So I think we'll see more frameworks that enable that. Um, <clears throat> I think we'll see more investment in government-backed initiatives. And you've seen things like in the CLIFA review, how like incredibly important banking and fintech are to the UK economy, but also that it's, you know, there's a big, a big government push to keep ourselves at the kind of world leading edge of that fintech banking, this being a safe country to, to, to like invest in and to open business in and all of that kind of stuff. So I think we'll see lots more kind of banking and fintech government-backed initiatives to make this a good place to do that stuff and, and, and for us to keep driving that kind of world-leading status. Um, and then the third thing, and this might be a bit of a, um, a, a wish rather than a prediction, um, but I think we're going to see a move to proper platforms and ecosystems where we offer customers, including lenders, you know, whoever the users of this technology are, a more end-to-end joined up solution that's based on partnership and collaboration I think it's time we started knocking down some of these like competitive barriers and walls between we won't work with that company because they're a competitor and actually mm. we need to get over ourselves and start doing what's right for the customer so yeah I'm predicting that in the next couple of years we'll start breaking some of those walls down Fantastic, Marie. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts today. I've thoroughly enjoyed that um, and look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Take care.